0: Hey guys, uh, just quick announcement at the top of the episode. Um, This is an earlier episode. Uh, We originally meant to air it as our summer special, but I did not get around to publishing it at that time. So hopefully this uh, episode about uh, the beach will give you some warm thoughts during this cold stretch. That is, if it's cold where you're at, it is where I'm at, there's snow on the ground. It kinda sucks. Anyway, uh, just hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. Thanks so much, bye. back everyone to the legend of portalcast uh, a podcast uh dedicated to discussion of avatar the last airbender and the legend korra a reunion cast of old hosts and dear friends and today we are doing our summer special episode uh, and i am joined by daniel hello and susan
1: hello Happy summer tales.
0: Yes. Uh, So in honor of uh, warmer weather and uh, summer approaching, we decided to watch The Beach um, from book three. uh, And that's uh, what we're going to be discussing today. So I want to first get into this and just what was it like for you guys revisiting this episode? Uh, Just first impressions.
2: All the angst. (laughs) I had, I had seriously forgotten how heavy handed they were with Zuko and Mai's relationship mm-hmm. with her angsty outlook on everything and with him being angsty back. And oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> well, they, I mean, they Thank set so you up much. for it. They <laughs> set you up for it in the beginning of the episode. It's like previously on Avatar. It's like, I love when you hate the world. And you're like, oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> here we go.
2: <laughs> and I mean, that's fine in small doses. But like,
1: I don't hate you. It's almost as good as the Star Wars writing. Yeah. <laughs> I hate It's
2: coarse. It
1: gets everywhere.
2: Welcome to Sandland.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it it definitely has like so many of those. He uh, went
1: from having that line, Colin. Yeah. The Line of I hate the world. I don't hate you. To yes, we defeated you for all time. You will never rise from the ashes of your shame and humiliation. <laughs>
0: That was fun. Like- <laughs> we were talking about this beforehand. There's just so many great screen grab moments and also just great lines of just such absurdity and silliness and uh, just Zuko embracing dove. the fun.
1: <laughs> Zuko Doves.
0: Yes. Uh, we currently have a <laughs> I- screenshot pulled up of when Zuko tosses his uh, overshirt to the side as the doves are flying majestically <laughs> behind him.
1: Yo, you're on a beach. Aren't they supposed to be seagulls <laughs> looking for some no. French fries or fireflakes?
0: Because that
2: wouldn't be thematically appropriate. <laughs> Come on!
0: It's it's just such a recognition of uh, Mike and Brian just knowing, you know, <laughs> recognizing the fans and understanding like how Zuko, you know, became this like heartthrob of a character for so many people, and they just give it just such an appropriate homage
2: (laughs) again a little heavy-handed but (laughs)
0: absolutely i mean it's got it's got the heavy-handed camp of kind of like an 80s movie which i mean is it really so much of this is what it feels like there's all bits of you know breakfast club and like that kind of energy to this episode Mm -hmm. and i mean it's it's an episode about them as teenagers
1: it looks like the beach threw up in here was the, how, how they described going into Lee and Lowe's house when they went into the rooms. <laughs> like, it's every person who's ever gone to Ocean City, New Jersey, stayed in a beach house, or in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and stayed in a beach house, and can, can remember there's these comforters that literally are just blue and white and have, like, this <laughs> terrible seashell design on it, and it literally looks like in every one of those rentals, the beach just threw up in this room.
0: and it's such it really is such a mix of like you know when they even comment they're like it smells like old people in here it's like (laughs) old people salt and like sea breeze like all of that just kind of like mixed in together to this just very unique aroma (laughs) wow it really is
1: it really is we're here with beach delaware then
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I, i love that they you know have to go to a very small house It's cool to kind of see them like humbled in that moment, because again, so much of this is about them, uh, you know, coming to terms with who they are as these very important individuals in the Fire Nation and kind of how they see themselves and how they see each other. Um, I think one of the main themes of this episode is uh, judgment first impressions and how we perceive others. And... Lee
1: and who are these beautiful women? <laughs> Don't you recognize that? It's Lee and oh, no. Lowe.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's such a great first setup, too. Right yeah, there. absolutely. I mean, it's such a great setup to say, like, you know, who you think people are aren't exactly who they actually are. And immediately it's setting us up for that with that imagery of being like, who are these people? And yes, it's a silly, campy moment. But I think the really great part about this episode is that even though sometimes it's heavy handed or campy, it's still incredibly effective. Um, And Mm. the payoff at the end of this episode is is really strong. Um, But first, I want to just get into the setup of this episode, because I really like kind of the scene of them. Uh, just the opening of them on this boat and it's being uh, pulled by these like turtle otter things, maybe like it's it's a whole, it's a great new animal and all of that. And like we see that and then it's just like, okay, like building the world, anytime they have a chance to throw in those kind of cool animal combos, they will. And I love Mm -hmm.
2: that. I wish we had seen more than just the thing's head, but yeah, it's some kind of, Hippo otter thing. (laughs)
0: Um, But, you know, it's interesting because it's it starts off with Zuko audibly complaining about how we're being sent off to, you know, being on a forced vacation. Like, I don't want to do this. And suddenly it's like. We are seeing these like four characters together at the same time for the first time ever besides like the flashback and that flashback alone was probably when they were like eight or nine, maybe even give or take a couple years. And now it's fast forwarding. They've all changed so much and have gone Mm -hmm. through so much. And I think it's really fascinating because, you know, it's the, it's the same premise of like going back to a reunion or visiting a place or a school or, friends that you haven't seen in a really long time and kind of that nervous energy that accompanies that of Mm -hmm. trying to come to terms with who they are uh from how you remembered them versus kind of filling in the gaps of you know who they have become so i don't know what was it like for you guys in terms of like, that aspect of it, that setup, and did that resonate any differently with you watching it now versus watching it before?
2: Um, yeah, I, th- I think... I, I don't know, I have a little bit more personal understanding of that sort of situation. Because, um, like, again, we're all older and wiser now than when this came out. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, several of us have gone through some pretty big life changes and you know even just this podcast I mean it'd been a couple years since even you and I had spoken to each other and
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you know it's it's always always a little nerve-wracking to not even necessarily think but just kind of understand that you know this isn't the same person that I grew up with I mean they've changed they've grown up are we still going to get along are the same jokes going to be funny you know (laughs) but uh
1: and as it's, we're finding out, a lot of
2: these jokes are
0: still funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're still laughing about so much of the same stuff. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, it's, it's always a bit of a, a life adventure, I think, meeting back up with, you know, people from your past, especially in the overly dramatic case of Zuko, who was <laughs> banished from the Fire Nation and, you know, left in disgrace. And now he's back and he even touches on it at the end of the episode. And, you know, everybody thinks he's a hero and he's had all these celebrations and whatnot in his name since he came back and it's just not what he thought he wanted.
1: Hmm. I concur. I think it's uh it's an interesting I think it's a good segue to summer. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but then also, you know, summer marks for a lot of people, the passing of time, like that's when school years end and then you're getting ready and excited about the next school year. But then also graduations on the pinnacle of summer. So people are growing and people are moving on and doing other things. So it's kind of like your last hurrah with the people you knew, too. Mm. But then when we come back to an episode or we come back to these specific things, like it, it really does redawn on it. And I think the episode really touches on it. that so much changed between the last time they were there versus now just like so much has changed from last time, we really talked about this episode to now.
3: Mm.
1: And, like, even just watching it, we see it in, like, different viewpoints and different lights. Like, back then, we had a lot of anticipations. We were like, oh, a new season three episode, yeah! And then, like, now we're, like, going back and, like, looking at it for the most humorous things in the episodes that we can find. Because we know that, like, where this stands in the timeline.
3: Mm. But then
1: we also forget things, too.
3: Mm.
1: Like Lee and Lo. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just, yeah, like, I, I really concur is that this is a big, this is a, kind of like that homage to how, like, summer is, like, that that tipping point a lot of people's
0: lives where things change, usually.
2: Hmm. The beach has a way of smoothing out the roughest edges.
0: <laughs> it's so true, though. I mean, I, I know for me growing up, like, I, my family always went to uh, Virginia Beach. And it was kind of like every year was a summer excursion. And I got to, you know, meet some of the same people there every year. And it was this idea of, you know, returning to something like that. Um, And it is kind of like this. I love that you described it too as it really is this indicator of passing of time. Um, Because sometimes that's really when you really get to kind of touch base with people because sometimes whether it's with school or you know just with a busy season of work or coming out of the winter and a move or things like that and then being able to touch base with people um during the summer in the outside in the outdoors doing things that are familiar like going to the beach or whatever you do kind of going on a hike or something like that, but keeping within the context of this episode, they're going to the beach, they're doing something that they did years ago as kids. And anytime I feel like you do something like that, and it's been several years since you've really engaged in that, you're really forced to kind of reckon with the past because it's living all around you. And you're recognizing these similarities or you're recognizing changes in the environment. Like, oh, man, that store used to be here or that house used to be there. Now it's replaced mm-hmm. by something else. And, um, you know, you're bombarded with those kind of thoughts of the past. And I think any time that that happens, it really kind of forces you to reflect and see where you're at now. Yeah.
1: I think I can concur with the fact of just seeing where you're at versus what has happened. Mm. As someone who grew up at the beach, like, literally two blocks from the beach, um, you know, going down there now, it's a completely different town than what it was five, ten years ago. Even 20 years ago, it's just, it's so different. The people there are so different. Like, they have a Chick-fil-A now. That never would have happened when I was... (laughs) In winter, things were dead there. Nothing lived there, okay? And now it's like, it's still busy in the winter. I can barely find a parking spot. Why?
3: <laughs>
1: mm. And it's it's hard because you walk around and, like, there are houses you remember being in certain places. There are, there are, like, really weird memories you have of, like, riding your bike at certain places. And just those things aren't there anymore. Sometimes. And sometimes it's like, it's almost a little disheartening mm. because you just remember you have these memories that are tied to it from a different time and a different era. But you also have like memories tied to it of like your family. And then like you come back after something traumatic has happened and it's uh, like completely different. Mm walk of life like you just remember certain things and then like you come back and you're like you just don't you just gotta reconcile it so it's kind of like this episode you know they haven't been there since their mother went away Mm. and it really gets to the core of what bothers both Azula and Zuko the most is their mother going away their father becoming this crazy Luno Uh, Iroh's son was still alive last time they were there actually because they mentioned that and Iroh basically having his fall from being the heir yeah I mean, so it's a lot of, like, that was the most pinnacle point. That was, like, their last good summer, apparently, before it all went downhill in their minds.
0: Yeah. And now, you know, here they are at such a juncture of just change. Azula has done what no Fire Lord or anybody else has been able to do the past 100 years and has conquered bossing, say, from the inside. Mm -hmm. Zuko has made an incredibly difficult choice that he's still trying to come to terms with. And Tylee... Iroh's in prison. Yeah, Iroh's in prison. And then also, it's great because we get to dive into Mei and Tylee. And Mm -hmm. I think it's what I love so much about this show is that they, they never they never uh, shy away from diving deeper into side characters. Um, and I love that, you know, we have just such a surface opinion of Azula, May and Tylee based on their efficiency as, and it, like and prowess as warriors um, and kind of their cleverness and intrigue and everything that enabled them to successfully take over bossing say, but now it's like, Oh yeah. They also like were raised in a very specific way. They went through these, you know, whether it was hardships or just the way that they viewed life. And now they're just coming to terms with it. And Mm -hmm. I love that they included all of them in this and dedicated so much of this time in this episode to really address that because I think it's also what makes the payoffs for Zuko's Turn to Good and May and Tylee's betrayal of Azula that much more effective and poignant. Because mm-hmm. we got to we get to know them more, we get to have a deeper sense of what they went through and how they grew up and how they've changed and we really get to see that at the end of the episode and before we kind of dive into that because one of the last things i want to talk about is how everyone individually was affected at the end of it um so just kind of keeping that in mind as we're kind of making our way through discussion right now uh but i want to get into you know they go to the beach there, you know, obviously we're starting to get a sense a little bit more diving into their personalities. You know, like you said, like the wrecking may commenting on all of the sheets and pillows looking like the ocean threw up on them, <laughs> but Tylee just being enchanted with all of it. So uh,
1: wonderful. <laughs> you would think everything's wonderful.
0: Yeah. And then Zuko being a little brooding and by a little, a lot,
1: um, <laughs> it's even more brooding than normal Zuko brooding, just so we're throwing it out there,
3: like.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mm. <laughs> and then Azula, just kind of, what's next? Moving on, like, what's our kind of next objective? Because that's also how she's been okay. like, so focused, like, for her life.
1: <laughs> can we can we talk about like today the fact that this episode it tries to humanize Azula, mm. and it's the scariest most cringeworthy thing that could possibly ever occur to anybody. <laughs> mm. But at the same time, you're like, wow, she just, she just can't be a human. Mm, yeah. Okay. We'll accept that.
0: Yeah. 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 It's her
2: attempts at flirting or <laughs> like it, it kind of, it almost makes you feel bad for her mm. because like you can tell when she's having her little conversation with Ty Lee at the party, like she does kind of want to, people to like her somewhere way deep down inside but she's just she's grown up with this you know opinion of herself and expectations and she's come to accept those as fact Mm. and so like even when she tries to you know flirt with the guy out on the balcony and she just she can't help but revert to her old ways. Programming, I guess, for lack of a better word, that is creepy. (laughs) Yeah, dude's like, uh, yeah, I gotta go. So uh, bye.
1: (laughs) Let's just put this out there. Hold on. You go ahead. Speaking, so speaking, uh, clearly as a as one of the female only females right now on the podcast, (laughs) um, we don't always laugh at guys. Guys say to flirt, just so you know. Sometimes you guys really are funny. Sometimes you really are not. We're not all that shallow.
3: Mm. Yeah. And at
1: least, you know, this episode gave me one thing. I felt so much better about how I flirted with my husband. <laughs> because I realized it could never have been that bad.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh,
3: I
1: thought I did a terrible job, but apparently...
2: I must have I've never had a
1: boy leave, but like he almost his pants because
3: he was
0: terrified of what just happened yeah well i i really I, i love that you brought up um daniel that it's like kind of like azula's going back to her or can't get away from her own programming because there are several times uh throughout the episode and it happens twice when she's talking to ty lee that you know ty lee is so surprised like you're jealous of me. Like you're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. And she's like, I know I am, but well, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's, it's this, it's this conflict of like, she has such a clear view of who she is. And I mean, to her credit, that's what enables her to do these incredible things. Like she, the, what she accomplishes. And we have to like remind everyone too, at this time, Azula is only fourteen years old. hmm.
1: Wait, Azula's only fourteen? Yes. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: I thought she was older by this point, because I thought I thought Zuko was like fifteen.
0: Well, you think about it, it all takes place within the progress of a single year. The entire oh, I realize
1: show. that. But Azula's the older sibling. So if Zuko is fifteen, wouldn't that make Azula sixteen?
0: No, Zuko's the Zuko's the older sibling. Yeah, she's younger no, he's sister. No, I
1: thought she was the older sister.
0: No, well, because if you think no. too this with the like the child. with like the the flashbacks too, Zuko is always like a little bit taller than mm. Azula as well, and like you yeah. think, and yeah,
2: because he was the heir to the Fire Throne until he got banished, and then that's why it was so surprising that Ozai favored Azula because she was the younger
0: child. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean the, the the crazy thing is like because of that it, yeah she's she's 14 and she has she has done so much and she knows who she is. I I didn't know who I was like in like <laughs> like by the time I was like 21. And I mean yeah. it's like you know there there's so much there's so much that like you need that self discovery. But Azula was driven with such purpose and also probably pressure from her father to be perfect, mm-hmm. to be the best fighter that she could be, the best firebender, the best tactician, everything. She is so calculated and so just thorough with everything. And that is all that's all her life has been. And it makes sense why she just cannot actually socialize with people because that's not at all what she did
3: mm-hmm.
1: oh my god you're so right i completely forgot that he was the older sibling yeah i actually remember. <laughs> yes i did viewers go around and google it because i completely forgot i always thought that it was flipped for some reason because it's a little axe holder that's why
0: oh uh, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. no she's she's way more together with everything she understands and also i mean when they're gathered around the fire at the end Her analysis, like her kind of her psychoanalysis of everyone, is pretty spot on, and she even recognizes, like about herself, that you know it was like, you know, my mother didn't love me, and you know it's like
1: she thought I was a monster. She thought I was a monster. She was right, but but it still hurt. Hurt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, but she joke like she passes that off as a joke because it's such a deep and buried emotion that that's the way she deflects and it's like that's the most we ever see her open up and it's because the only people she really socialized with were these three other people and Mm -hmm. i think if anything it's this like it really so
1: broken people by different standards like one was broken because she just didn't feel competitive and she got everything and she felt like it wasn't earned or that she didn't have any desire because it was essentially like they just handed it to her so Mm. she was like well what's the point of doing anything in my life if everything is handed to me and i can't show you my value and the other one had the complete opposite of her where she's like literally a copy of what was it like they said like she had like 10 siblings
0: six other sisters six sisters Hey,
1: hey feel that I feel that. I got I got five other sisters too, okay? Wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, just, you you measure yourself and your parents at some point just forget your name and they actually... My father still does it. He calls our roll call, is how we call it. Like, whenever he's yelling at us, he'll just go through the list of names till he figures out who you are. <laughs> um, because yeah. he has so many kids. And half the time, I don't think he remembers our first names all the time. So he remembers, like, middle names. Hmm. So, just saying. Uh, and then you got... Zuko and Azula who are super messed up. But, I mean, like, they're all broken characters in a way, and that's the only people she ever found solace in, was the broken characters, not characters who didn't really have that same level of room, but at the same time, it's like everybody's got a broken part of them somewhere.
3: Mm.
1: How they deal with it, how they they either oppress it or they just embrace it and then do other things or what,
0: but... Mm -hmm.
1: We're not all perfect is what they're trying to tell you. Not all the characters are perfect.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. That's, and I mean, that's like one of the greatest strengths of the show is that no character is just simple. No one is just kind of this, like, okay, they're only going to serve this purpose. Like there's the more they just dig deeper into these characters. We just realize that they are complex individuals and it makes it so much more compelling to watch their story because mm-hmm. we understand and can connect with them more because it's they're more of an accurate reflection of the human experience because they've gone through this stuff
2: I was actually gonna mention that a little bit earlier um, we were talking about how great the episode was is this is really the first time that we see Mei and Ty Lee as people because like before then they they'd just been you know Azula's quirky super efficient sidekicks mm-hmm. but now like again a, a nod to how thorough uh mike and brian are that's like every single person in this show has a purpose and the vast majority of them have an entire backstory that explains why they are the way they are and where they came from and you know, if they do have this personality quirk, like they're always happy and can walk on their hands and hang upside down, there's a reason for it. If they're, you know, shut down and, and morose and, you know, aren't exuberant about things, there's a reason for it. Mm. It was, it was so artfully done with this episode, I think, because, you know, up till now we just kind of been left to wonder or like just dismiss it as like, oh, well, it's a, cartoon cliche you have the happy one and the creepy one but Mm. now we know why they're the happy one and why they're the creepy one it was fantastically well done and you know makes you feel like you're in a universe that's actually populated with people
0: Mm. absolutely i mean it just it again it, it helps you connect so much more with a story if there is that degree of just believability And um, I've been reading this uh, really interesting book recently um, by William Irwin. It's called The Hobbit and Philosophy. And it kind of lines up all these different types of philosophical uh, discussions and how they relate to The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and how Tolkien wrote. And they did one in particular that was talking about why is it that we connect so much with characters that we know are actually not real? And how, you know, we can go to a movie or watch a TV show and it can make us cry. And I mean, we were talking just before this about Tales of Basigse of watching the tale of Iroh and how sad that is. <laughs> and, you know, there's, and how that is able to be crafted into a story and how the storyteller basically uses these tools of engaging backstory complex layers and justifications and basically why people are the way they are, because it's connecting us more with that human experience Mm -hmm. and, you know, low and Lee lead us up to it in the beginning of the episode of Ember Island has a way of doing that and how with our experiences of going to the beach or with summer marking that passage of time, it really is this, transformative time and it also it gives you that opportunity to just open up and like there's nothing i think more humbling and a greater trigger for honest open and real discussion than a fire and i love that that's how they you know symbolize that at the end of the episode too and there is just something about being around a fire with people and it kind of just taps into that like base, like <laughs> human instinct of, you know, we need this warmth. This is like a primal need and kind of forces you to come to terms with that. I don't know. I don't want to get too long winded with this, but, you know, I, do you guys feel what I'm saying?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's- chats around the campfire are always good vehicles for self-discovery
1: <laughs> many many good discussion have happened around a bonfire somewhere just saying
0: absolutely well i want to i want to talk a little bit about uh, before we dive deeper into the bonfire part i, I really want to dive deeper into this party um and just how
1: they are the perfect party guests, Colin. They arrive early.
0: <laughs> God, that's such a great Always setup.
2: Punctual. Very Always
0: punctual,
2: very punctual.
0: <laughs> so good. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, it really it, again. It just like it's such a great representation of Azula's character. Of like she takes things so literal and so logical and so reasonable, and it's mm. it's enabled her to. Be as successful and efficient as she oh, is.
1: Some of the even coolest when, kids in the Fire Nation are gonna be there.
2: Even when she's trying to be normal, she's military and regimented and precise. Absolutely. Well
0: it's
1: how every it's how every high school college party goes down. The house gets torn off, somebody's gonna get in trouble, mm-hmm. and most likely it'll never be the people who actually tore up your house.
3: No, of course not.
1: That's why your parents always tell you not to have parties when they're away. <laughs> Yeah. they're just saving you the trouble of getting in trouble okay mm-hmm. <laughs> future children just saying when you hear this when you're like 16 please remember this when I'm out one night with your father
0: but but the, the it, Ron John is hosting the party though
1: he's like <laughs> his dad is like a super important general in the fire nation army oh
0: my god This is so cool. This is going to be a party I'll remember for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, like
1: your muscles are just so big. (laughs) Uh,
0: I know. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's just (laughs) packed with all of those wonderfully awkward moments, but then it's added with the flavor of each of those characters. So Tylee being like surrounded by all those guys, And be like, I like you all. And then she just gets like so overwhelmed. And then just punches them all out. (laughs) That's
3: just so
1: not cool. You have to leave now. We're back.
0: (laughs) That moment too where Azula does go out in that balcony with that guy. And, you know, again, it's opening us up to Azula. And understanding her more. And it's like, that was... Probably her first kiss, mm. and
3: so awkward.
0: And and then just, but immediately, it's like, but I, you know, at the same time, it's like I, I, I get that. Like even though she's very what, mature, you, you
1: threatened you threatened a girl after your first kiss with <laughs> like you know ruling the Fire Nation as one of the most powerful people. It, that's a that's a pretty big ask. I'm just saying, man. At least like you know, I was like, oh that. That was kind of crappy. That was really crappy, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think it comes with like the rush of like of that, whether it is like your first first kiss or the first kiss with like someone that you like. I think there is that kind of like manic energy that's just like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, this is amazing. And remember, she's 14 and however mature she might be. If this was like her first kiss, like all she is imagining is just like, yes, I have found the one because someone I like, I actually like kissed someone. We had this moment. This is great, and she's already like ten thousand steps ahead, imagining is the coronation and all Mrs. of this.
1: Ron John on her on her on her strategy books for taking <laughs> her over the next. Like she's like, I'm just gonna write. This is Ron John on my plans to destroy the earth kingdom notebook. This is yeah. John. This is a <laughs> John.
2: But even I mean even that going back to the, what we were talking about about her, you know, her upbringing and her programming as a child, it, that wasn't so much out of line. Like, you know, to her strength equals greatness and success. And so now that she's had this first kiss and she's all a flutter, you know, again, she's kind of defaulting back to that programming and, you know, this is the person that she's going to spend the rest of her life with, obviously. And so they are going to be the greatest couple and rule the world together because that's what she understands as a successful, happy relationship.
1: <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. She didn't want to marry Ron John. She wanted to marry Chan.
0: Oh, that's right. Because Chan, Chan had
1: the bigger muscles.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Ron John was the one trying to hit on on May, that's right. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and it's it's.
1: for Company or Prince of the Fire Nation? for <laughs> <Sword>
3: Force
0: Company. <laughs> I, I like that you brought up the idea of her defaulting like that, too, Daniel. Because, uh, you know, it really shows a lack of her being able to be present and just kind of be in that moment and enjoy it and. Not think so far ahead. Mm -hmm. But it's such a reflection of who she is. She's calculating. We are the perfect party guests. We are punctual. We found out when this was going to be happening. So this is the way that it's done. That, like you said, regimented and militaristic way that she carries herself, she cannot shake because she doesn't socialize. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like... It's crazy, but it's also it really is just kind of sad because you're like, this is all she knows. And because of this, because she's been driven so much to be this individual and has, you know, had all of this circling around her and had everyone tell her that she is perfect and building that opinion of herself of who she is as the princess of the fire nation and all of that image that that builds up to that. It's tragic because she cannot just be a normal kid
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and she's just overcome by all of it, which again, it's this episode I think is such a great stepping stone for what happens later in this season at the end of the series with uh, Zula's mental breakdown and just, losing everything and i think that you know even though she can be self-critical and under or self-aware it's like when you realize and you are self-aware and you realize kind of how messed up things are how many times do you think that you know maybe she like replayed that scenario back in her head of the way Mm -hmm. that you know he did that and and he left or uh, like all of these other things I don't know. It, again, I just love that we got to see that side of her, and I think it, what makes her such a an amazing villain. And yeah.
2: To be honest, she's always been one of my favorites.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Hands
1: down, one yeah. of the best villains right there. Like, mm-hmm. I have, I have, I have strict villain love for Azula, just because it's like one of the most amazing, complex, crazy, awesome villains ever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean. Doomsday Volleyball.
0: (laughs) Yeah, can we talk about that for just a little bit here? This, like, crazy volleyball match and, like...
1: Well, I mean, she takes an innocent game, like volleyball, turns it into a military strategy of attacking a girl who had an injury probably from childhood that is not fully healed ever, and so she walks with a tiny bit of a limp, and that's their weak point, so they're going to target it. Like, seriously it's yep. volleyball although I will say it did make watching volleyball a lot more interesting of an idea to me at that point because <laughs> I said well if it ends with fire and burning of nets I might watch it more often
3: craters or even consider playing
1: <laughs> I mean yeah. she's like it, it, it. it's kind of creepy but at the same time it's like well she, she wants to be normal because she wants to play volleyball and she wants to do the things kids do and she wants to really fit in with her peers but she just does it, and mm-hmm. it makes you feel bad for her
3: mm-hmm.
1: because you can see that Tylee at least can somewhat do it and Mai can somewhat do it and zuko can somewhat do it but like it makes you really feel terrible for her because she really wants that but she just there's something mentally that she just can't do
0: yeah yeah well it's just well, it- it's it's not being it's she's not having fun with it that's the thing
1: we should just really rename this but, episode, Colin, from the beach summertime special to the 101 ways we love Azula's character. It's <laughs> like,
2: I'm just Well, I, I would kind of refute what you were saying about her, um, you know, not able to have fun. The mm. thing is, to her, that is fun. Mm. Analyzing oh, a target, that, yeah. identifying their weakness, exploiting it, and crushing them. Yeah. That's what she enjoys doing. That's okay. how she would prefer to spend... All of her days <laughs>
1: I will clarify then Let's clarify She can't have what Is considered By social, socially acceptable standards Fun <laughs> mm-hmm. She has to have the I grew up in a militaristic family And I've learned to Basically make those that are weaker My slaves and bow down before me And destroy mm-hmm. them Destroying my enemies makes me feel really good About myself Fun Mm. Yeah, which is a little scary, but somewhat. But I will tell you, in corporate America, makes a fantastic CEO material.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: guys uh, just wanted to take a quick break here to remind you of the different ways that you can get in touch with us and follow us on social media Uh, we are on facebook at legend of portalcast we're on twitter at portalcast pod and we're also on instagram at legend of portalcast Uh, if you also can consider uh, checking us out on itunes or uh, stitcher or whatever you use for your podcast app um, to kind of consider giving us a rating and a review it really helps us uh, this early kind of stage in the podcast development um, so we appreciate any and all feedback um, and if you have any ideas for what we'd like to talk about next or anything like that feel free to reach out at us at social media or email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com all right and back to the show thanks guys I mean there there is this like with her desire to like win to you know in such totality and I I think again it's like recognizing pinpointing and saying okay that girl's weakness is clearly she had an injury when she was younger and this is right here that's Azula's greatest strength mm-hmm. and I think when you see like just some in some of my favorite villains too are the ones who, yes, they're technically proficient and, like, they're really good at what they do, but their greatest strength is understanding others' greatest weaknesses.
1: Oh, Colin. So, like, in that same respect, the party, right? If we go back mm-hmm. to the party. Yeah. Where she's telling Kylie that she knows she's great and she knows she's beautiful and da 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 What if she's recognized her own weaknesses that she feels the need to be accepted she feels the need to be accepted by her peers. And then, like, later at the end of the episode, which we'll get to, like, that's her being like, yeah, don't need that anymore. Mm. And then that's her weakness, and she's covering, she's literally just destroying her weakness so that she can be the strongest. Wow. And that sends her in a crazy town because that's literally something people need is, like, people. Yeah ask any new mother in the first 2 weeks what they need and they will tell you conversations with something outside of this. <laughs> They'll tell you they want coffee, sleep, and adult conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Well yeah, it's 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 getting back to this point that like Azula didn't grow up with that really at all. And I love that, you know, you kind of pinpointed that that's her recognizing her own weakness. Mm -hmm. that you know that's how she opened up and if she can eliminate that then she will be perfect and again how beautiful is that when you think about the very first scene that we see with azula is her doing the lightning on the boat at the beginning of book two and then she notices a single hair out of place and Uh she's like it's not good enough
2: i forgot about that
0: (laughs) And it's like, I forgot about that single hair. Wow. And it's, you know, that's so much of who she is. It's mm-hmm. like, it has to be perfect. And whatever I can do to eliminate error and eliminate anything else that's going to get in the way of like that perfection, I'm going to do it. And that's, and that's like, go ahead, Colin. Sorry. No, i no, was just going to say, and that that's her, that's her ultimate downfall. Yeah, and because she
1: starts banishing everybody that, like, literally was what she had left. And,
0: yeah. Uh, you
1: hit the nail on the head, Colin. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, gosh. So many of those just visuals. And and, and that's, that's... I think it's such a testament to the show is that, you know, it's connecting uh, character threads like that. Because even though Azula has changed and we're seeing her open up for the first time, so much of the core of her character is what we were shown in the beginning of like, you know, this is the type of individual she is. And the fact that that doesn't change is also a testament to her downfall because you have to think about every single character in this show. The ones who change are the ones who usually come out on top or at least find a way to move forward in their own like personal journey or finding their kind of place in the world. And without that, you just, you stagnate or you break down. But I want to, I want to, I want to go a little bit into, uh, even though we've been just focusing all on the Ember Island part of this, we are still talking about this episode, therefore... I also Frank want to make Sparky a. Boom I want to take a quick segue and talk about Sparky Sparky Boom Man, uh, because I all, I think we all said that we all forgot that like this was when he like shows up in this episode.
1: That's well, when they're hanging out at the hot springs. They're like, oh you know, and oh it's just so it's so wonderful. And then like you you got to feel for those two guys that literally have what they consider to be the most boring job of the Fire Nation. They <laughs> finally get to send off this great thing. They're like, man, we're gonna get. We're going to get the best positions ever now because we're setting off an awesome Raven Eagle. And that thing gets owned by Sparky Sparky Boom Man's Eagle. Oh my
3: God. Top. Yeah.
1: And, and, and those two guys are still wondering if their message ever made it. You know, they're sitting <laughs> up there like, oh, I wish the Fire Lord would have come by now.
3: I know, Will, right? I, ever,
1: will I ever get my promotion for telling them? you know like weeks later so the fire lord's been defeated and they're like
2: we told you right where he was
1: (laughs) they don't even sit back because they don't even want to acknowledge it they're like oh really that's terrible oh (laughs) wish someone had warned him well if someone had warned him or the message had never been received I'm sure those people would be definitely in a jail cell right now (laughs) yeah that's terrible
3: yeah
0: (laughs) oh my gosh well, like, like I, I remember when uh, w- w- actually when we were just watching this, uh, I was watching it with Abigail, and she was like, "That was just the craziest thing I've ever seen." With like that turkey eagle or vulture eagle, I think is what the combination is. Like taking down, eagle. yeah, like take, I had to
1: look it up. I was so curious as to what it was the other day. I was like, "What is this thing?"
0: Yeah, and like the way that it just like t- like took down that messenger hawk was like mm. amazing. And, I mean, it's like. You know, Very you have
2: specifically trained to do that. <laughs>
0: yeah. But it's like it's also I mean, you think about it, it's the equivalent of a modern day like hacker. Like finding out like I'm gonna hack your like your emails or your iPhone mm-hmm. or something to find out how you communicate, and this guy is just like, All right, this is how people communicate important messages. I'm gonna train this bird to be able to intercept it because, you know <laughs> Yep. Oh my gosh. But oh, my
1: God. that that is just ah oh, that bird.
0: Sorry. Yeah but you know and then and then he then he attacks and I love this scene so much where he initially attacks the gang because they and I love when shows do this or films there's no music all it is is just the sounds and it really puts you in there in like the panic and the desperation of being like we have no idea what this is or what is happening but it is so incredibly dangerous. And it just, yeah. it just, yeah, it, it, like changing the game in terms of, you know, because it's like, hey, if we're going to be, you know, attacked by benders, like we know what to expect with a fire bender. You no, know, expect with an earth and water bender. And then it's like, oh, what is this? It's explosions. Like these are like bombs, but pinpointed from a single man. And mm-hmm. it just becomes this desperate fight. And I just love the way that they all kind of deflect and run and handle it. And it's, it's really a great Testament to their coordination because Mm -hmm. Ang's like, okay, understanding we can't win this. You guys need to retreat. I'll distract. And when he's hiding from him in the rocks, it's not only just to surprise him and kind of get the jump on him, but Ang is waiting for Appa to swing around so he can make that escape and just, The level of coordination that these kids have is phenomenal. But it's like built in because they have just had to do it out of necessity. Because they Mm -hmm. have just been fighting together for so long. And like Aang being able to escape and getting away from there. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like, what have we gotten ourselves into?
1: (laughs) How do you defeat somebody who shoots lasers with his mind! Like, that was my favorite part. He's like, what is this? <laughs> and we, at that point, I don't think we really fully understood what Sparky Sparky Boo Man's power was, and then we're like,
3: what is that? <laughs> what?
2: Well, I, I like, even at this point, we don't understand what his power is. No, Like, yeah. there's theories, and I remember when this first came out in, in the original podcast, we were talking about it, and the correlations between like the third eye chakra and how they specifically show uh like his breathing and and muscle contortions in order to use this ability so like there's a lot of theories floating around as to what it is and some of them are probably right i don't know but we've never actually seen someone else that can do this and like we don't know how it works is it bending is it strictly martial arts with a like chi energy kind of thing i don't know
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that, you know, again, it's finding a way to increase the stakes because, you know, you look at like Aang and Toph and Katara and Sokka and they're such a formidable force. They're so coordinated and so effective, but it's like, okay, instead of just throwing like a massive army at them, you're throwing one very specialized individual that they do not know how to deal with mm-hmm. um and still it takes them a while to deal with it uh you know but I, I think like some of the theories that i remember seeing too is like the idea of you have the four elements in kind of like cardinal directions and then in the you know southwest northwest southeast you know those kinds of directional points are where uh those specific like Kind of uh, styles of bending grow from. So with lava or with like the combustion bending um, or with uh, like swamp bending, uh, it's kind of like there. It's like you're pulling from different forms, and the idea of like what Iroh is doing with like redirecting lightning. It's technically kind of like a move that he learned from the water benders, but it's being purposed for firebending and i think so much of what sparky sparky boom man does is it is like technically firebending but it's borrowing principles from airbending for Mm -hmm. its execution but it'll be interesting to see if they ever kind of dig deeper into that and i haven't read all of the comics yet and i don't know if they dig into it in the rift Uh, But I know that in Legend of Korra, uh, Pa'li, who is also a combustion bender, there is like kind of a moment referenced of like, well, you know, you helped save me from that warlord. And that, Mm. you know, there's she has a whole backstory.
2: (laughs) I haven't I'll admit I haven't seen all of Legend of Korra, so.
0: Well, you have that was, to look forward to. I was unaware
2: to. of this. <laughs>
1: Wait, so are you going to join the Dutch Chicken watches, Cora? Because honestly, the listen to the Dutch Chicken watch watch Cora is just as amazing.
2: I can imagine. I'm afraid I wouldn't be anywhere near as entertaining as he would be, though.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's cool to kind of have that fresh insight and also mm-hmm. like seeing it with new eyes. And you know, we were talking about this uh, before. That I think what we love about that too, is that it forces us not to like go off onto tangents because we have to kind of hold back. And I apologize for spoiling that part for you, but it I, like it. it's nothing too big, but it's, it's one of those things again, where, you know, they're planting these little seeds of mystery all throughout their universe. And, you know, because of the comics, they have the opportunity to kind of fill in those gaps. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, craziness, Sparky, Sparky, boom, and gang gets away. Um, so I think that that kind of concludes up our. Unless you guys have any other thoughts you want to bring up in so terms we, of it. Well, moment. why don't
1: we get to the end of the beach? The beach, and like after they've basically had this cathartic moment, and they've they've delved into each other's past, and they reconcile as friends.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's kind of weird because you think about it, right? And that the whole episode is about them having revelations relations and, really becoming smoothing out who they are and, you know, changing. Um, and when they arrive first, like they all are their characters. They are obviously dealing with internal turmoil. And then when they leave, it's the destruction of Chang's house
3: <laughs>
1: Poor Chang. <Sobbing. laughs> um, I mean, it really reinforces that at least some of them have come back to feeling like they needed that. They needed to get it out. Mm. I mean, even Azula, I think destroying his house is probably what basically then destroys Azula's forever need to be a part of normal society. But, (laughs) yeah. (laughs)
0: well, if you think about it, too, the way that they, that's how they express themselves, because that's so much of who they are. They're all yeah. warriors. Well, you, <laughs> I was just going to say, I think it, that it's... was
2: kind of the conclusion of their cathartic experience. Mm. They're like, yeah, we had this deep conversation. Now I'm we sure need to go go house down. get some <laughs> exercise and break some
0: stuff. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, and plus, they hey, all haven't still-
0: really been fighting too. They've kind of been like on vacation, away from the action since Bossing Say. So it's mm-hmm. like for people who are like that's normally their life, and there's so much of their like day to day is like combat or just conflict. In that sense, it's like there's that feeling of like okay, something's missing here. Well,
1: <laughs> let's talk about the idea that too, like this cathartic moment this revelation this realization this turning point in all the character stories you know this is this also kind of hints at what will happen in the future for Mm. all the people watching because you really see at the beginning of the episode like Maya and Zuko Zuko don't really have this like very deep connection because he like picks up a shell who why would you give the moodiest person (laughs) at the beach a shell a pink shell and say girls like pretty things right like He's like so bad at You don't even it. know her, dude. You're like terrible at being a boyfriend at this point. Like, you just need to stop. Stop trying. You fail. Go home. Pick up her. Da- I don't know. Find out one of her best friends and figure out something about her. But, like.
2: Buy her a new
0: knife.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? Like, buy her some blades. That seems to be what she likes. Um.
0: Which is interesting, I mean, and sorry, any... I, I I just want to take yeah. this moment too to kind of it, it's interesting that we see Zuko unable to connect with Mei because in the tale of Bossing Sei, when he goes on this like random date with like, um, oh, gosh, I cannot remember her name right oh now. Oh my god,
1: it's killing me. I know what you're talking about. So yeah.
0: when they would go out on the date and like he like you know is awkward when they're eating dinner and everything, but then. You know they go to the fountain and he lights up the fountain and does this really beautiful yeah. like heartwarming thing for her but at the same time she was also the one who was like let's get out of here let's like you know kind of like go out to this like spot and everything she was much more of the like the she, the driving force in that kind well, of think about
1: it too is that he says it that she's just a big thing of blah and he can't really read blah and mm. this girl he went out with in Boston, say, literally went on about how this was the most beautiful sight in the city to her, and she felt very connected to it. Mm. And when they get there and it's not lit up, like, he can see that obviously it hurts her. So yeah. that's why, like, he does it for her, is because, you know, deep down, Zuko does have that desire to, I guess, make. I think it kind of lingers from his own mother, but, mm. you know to bring that happiness, that joy and be that for somebody. And with my, he literally is struggling the whole episode to do that. And I think it's killing him even more. He's like, I I like this girl, but I can't, I can't do anything for her. like why? And near the end, when she finally exhibits some form of human emotion, you know, he feels connected. And then I think, Again, it sets it up for later when they go to the prison, the burning, you know.
3: The burning um, rock.
1: Yeah, the burning rock. Mm -hmm. And she shows up. The boiling rock, sorry. (laughs) The boiling rock. Yeah. And the boiling rock. And her uncle just happens to be the warden. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: like, you know, she shows up. It kind of sets up for the fact that she would inevitably betray Azula for Zuko. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Because they were able to come to terms with that and make that connection.
1: Yeah, and she... And it sets up that Azula really has no connection.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely. Like
1: she, she, like, literally has isolated her own feelings, her own things. She's accepted that, essentially, that she's, you know, my mom threw me a monster and her, but, you know, whatever, I'm cool. Like, they don't have that deep feeling.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's like, you know, she's so much more of a reflection of Ozai because of... Ozai's view of people and just as kind of pieces on the chessboard instead of actually making genuine connections, Ozai is thinking, how can I leverage this person to further my own gains? And, you know, obviously with kids, it's like always a combination of the parents. But, you know, sometimes it's like they lean in one direction a little bit more. Plus, she lost her mother at a young age. And didn't get to have any more of that like side of her exposed. Zuko had more time with her being the older sibling. But at the same time, it's like they Azula just was not given that opportunity to be social, to connect with people, to see them as humans and not see them as things or mm-hmm. pieces mm-hmm. or moving parts in her whole calculating plan.
1: And we talk about May's past where it's like her, because of her father's career, she's expected to be friends with certain people. She's expected to do certain things. She's expected to act a certain way. Like, it kind of sets up that, yeah, I'm kind of friends with this because it's expected of me. Mm, mm. Like, almost it sets it up that way. And it then
0: feels worse. I, I love that. I love how quickly that changes, too, when May has that monologue of being like, well, I had everything. And then it's, like, the more she reveals the layers of it, the more you realize it's, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, even if everyone, if someone has everything, everyone's going to be lacking in something. Yeah. And everyone's going to be struggling in some different plane because that's that's how it works. Um, you know, and, th- and then we get to see with, with Ty Lee, who we just, again... We thought just, uh, we only got to see this outside perspective of her, of, you know, uh, talented. Happy you bubbly. Know. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, th- this is so much of it. And then understanding that it's like, holy crap, that's, that's why she is the way that she is. Yeah, there's actually a reason for it. And, I mean, you think about that, too. It's like, I think the friends that, you know, we grow closest with are the ones that we understand more of you know how they got to where they are Mm -hmm. and i think circling back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this idea of seeing people after a very long time um, and taking into consideration what they've been through and how you don't know that Um, Mm -hmm. and i think that the more you can kind of see that change and the more that you know, at least people are willing to open up and be able to engage, I think it's a greater opportunity to, uh, you know, grow that connection from, like, the great foundation that it was at before. Because clearly these, like, the four of them had a fun relationship together and, like, you know, they had, you know, it seems like fun playing games and all of that. There was clearly the power dynamics and all of that. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it was like when your kids and you're playing, it's like, it's so pure, and it's so good, and then, like, as you get older, and things get more complicated, and people go through different stuff, there's that longing to go back to that, but Mm -hmm. you never truly can, because things just will never be that simple again. Yeah.
1: Like, today, for example, I took my daughter and her friend to see The Incredibles 2, Mm. and... You know i had them in the back of the car my husband's up front with me and we're driving and the two of them are about five six years old and they just start playing with the doll. they they have my daughter in the back of her car i always i have three little rapunzel dolls in the back of the car that she just takes everywhere with her these little dolls and just keeps entertained in the back for a while it's better than just giving her an ipad to watch Mm -hmm. and uh she gives one to her friend and they start playing for a while and it's like I don't exist anymore and I can hear what they're doing and what they're playing. And it's so pure the, what they're doing and what they're playing. It's so amazing. Mm. And you kind of think about like my husband said, he's like, I was like, Oh, I'm just being ignored. He's like, don't you remember when you were that age? And like, you got together with your friends and like, you don't really hang out with him, but you guys get in these conversations because you understand each other and this five-year-old thing. And, and I was like, know, I really don't remember but you're right. It's like this is probably the most purest form of friendship mm. is like in that time because you don't have the complex craziness of life really hitting you yet. Like everything is so new to you. It's so genuinely just pure. It's so good. It's so like you're not unabashedly just destroyed by the, the world yet. Mm. <sighs> like nothing looks bad to you and it's crazy, but... I mean I I just thought about that today and I was like man you're right Colin like there are times where I'm like man I wish I could go back to that time but like mm. I kind of don't ever want to <laughs> yeah <laughs> like high school no nah, I don't want to go back to there ever again <laughs> no offense but but like it's just it's one of those things where you think about it and you're like wow you know when you're children and you're playing it's like a completely different level than when you grow and you learn and you become someone completely different mm.
0: mm-hmm Well, I I mean, I I remember, I mean, when I was pretty young, I actually, because I took piano lessons over at uh, uh, Daniel's house. And like, I remember when I would like come over and wait for like my lesson to start, we used to like fire up that old computer and like play like the old 2D scroller of like Prince of Persia or like some other game like that. (laughs) You know, and it's like, it was that again, there was like, we kind of had that like, connection and everything and how much our friendship kind of grew over like the course of like you know middle school to high school and everything and it's amazing Mm -hmm. how those simple things can like (laughs) you know tumble into something really amazing yeah
1: well this episode's been cathartic (laughs) right (laughs) we just get deep yeah. So, by the way, how about that time when they just destroyed a beach house?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I mean th- this episode. All right, really, all right everybody,
1: oh. let's go destroy beach houses. <laughs> and, and break. break.
0: Sorry, It's all right. We're gonna be releasing this episode two weeks after. Though will have already like you know moved on with us by. Then.
1: Oh, so okay. Well, then the end, we'll be on Fourth of July weekend, so it's the perfect <laughs> time to destroy beach houses. Got it. Okay. Right. Fireworks! It is then.
2: We are another
0: we are not inciting anyone to destroy beach <laughs> just so we have that on the record. But you know at the same time, if you have your revelations, you be you. Do you
1: <laughs> You know what though? I bet you Maybe that's when everyone a little will bit. have their revelations over the fourth of July weekend and then they'll be like, Oh, I have these deep revelations. What do I do now? Let's just break some stuff. <laughs> Hey, don't really break stuff, guys. That really is not an endorsement. We're literally just making fun of the fact that that just happened to be the way this thing ends. (laughs) Yeah. Cool guys walk away from explosions. (laughs) Literally, that was what was going on.
0: Yeah. Um, So the the last thing I want to get into um, for this episode is I want to, you know, we've really gone into detail with. Azula especially which has been amazing um, and then getting into Mei and Ty Lee but I really want to talk about Zuko in this episode because it really is such a pivotal point for him and keeping in consideration everything that's kind of happened to him leading up to this point um, and from his decision at Bossing Sing Se to betray his uncle, to him returning and being welcomed back to, uh, you know, the Fire Nation and the way of life with his father and sister, and then the palace, um, and he's together with May. And again, it's this idea of everything on paper that you would think he would want, but it takes the whole episode. For him to finally admit that he's not angry at anybody else, he's angry at himself, mm-hmm. and it's him actually openly admitting that, and it's so powerful.
2: Yeah, it's i I really like that moment where he just kind of freaks out and yells, and the fire blows up, and then after that, it's just quiet. Like even even Azula, who, as you commented before, is so good at picking people apart and psychoanalyzing them, and having you know the perfect precision comment for every goal that she wants to achieve, even she is stunned into silence for at least a couple mm-hmm. seconds.
0: Well, I I think that is definitely mm-hmm. true to a degree. But one of the things that, if you notice in that scene when you're watching, is Zuko kind of. Talking about this and opening up, there is a moment where it flashes to Azula and she smirks, Mm -hmm. realizing that he's kind of like breaking down again. Well, I, I, uh, that was that moment
2: you're talking about was when he mentioned killing the Avatar.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: it's because I think she probably knows He's not quite dead, and I think a lot of this is, you know, in her calculating, planned out scheme of things. You know, yeah, let Zuko take credit for killing the Avatar, and then all the blame when it will be on him. <laughs> out that he may not be dead. He'll be disgraced irrevocably.
0: Hmm. And and that's and that's like the, the I mean that and that's what's just so sad. Even though they're opening up on this and they're like trying to be, you know, like trying to connect with each other. That's she's how Azula like still feels about her own brother. Is that mm-hmm. if she can beat him, if he can lose in some way, then that's, that's all she wants. Because again, she's so influenced by Ozai. And you have to think about this, like how it echoes the generation before. Ozai was always second fiddle to Iro in terms of the throne like the attention and ozai planned his way through to become the fire lord and mm-hmm. kind of swept on that moment and this and this is what Azula's seeing in this moment is that's her opportunity this is her kind of lieutenant moment and it's just like just like iroh broke down and you know has the blame of not actually going through with the invasion of basing say You know, now I have this. And, you know, again, her main goal at the end is she wants, like, she wants to be Fire Lord. That's what means the most to her at the end when Ozai crowns her before he leaves. Mm -hmm. But again, just like with Zuko, even though the thought of expectations of what you think you want and what you think is going to be, you know, right for you. In the end, it's it, it's not at all what you ever expect it to be. Mm-hmm. But I guess the thing with Zuko, I want to kind of touch on as a final point again, is um, what it was like for you guys to revisit this episode and viewing Zuko through that lens of understanding his full growth and knowing what he gets through and what he overcomes and what this is kind of... Uh, serving as a stepping stone for. I mean, it's it's
2: kind of a an awkward phase for him, I guess, because it's as you said, it is kind of right in the middle of his big transition before he joins Team Avatar. Um, you know, he's just come back from you know his great conquest and thinks he's killed the Avatar and you know, succeeded on his lifelong goal and now he's back in the fire nation and you know he's got everything that he thought he ever wanted but he's not happy with it he's angry at himself he's uh realizing that you know what he thought was good and just and noble isn't and it's it's causing a lot of dissonance in his mind and he doesn't know how to deal with it so i mean i i do kind of think even in a longer run you know azula had a fair bit to do with him joining team avatar because she's been pushing him and manipulating him into this situation for so long and uh i just don't think he reacted how she quite expected him to which is a whole other conversation. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, just the fact that he's so distraught after getting all of these rewards and honors and, you know, his place as Prince of the Fire Nation restored is is fascinating to me.
0: And mm-hmm. the episode right after this is The Avatar and the Fire Lord,
3: mm-hmm.
0: where he has that, like, <laughs> I mean, he really understands now what like you know what's kind of boiling inside him these two Mm. sides and these two different legacies and then having that moment with iroh of iroh being like look you know you're our greatest hope you're the only one who can kind of like save all of this because Mm. you know iroh saw it from a while ago and uh, zuko probably understands but we as viewers now truly understand Azula is only going to lead the Fire Nation into the same path that Ozai is leading it. Yeah. Well, do you guys have any other final thoughts on uh, on this episode and in general?
2: Lee and Lo are creepy.
0: <laughs> Dude,
1: so much so. So, so creepy. Like, I'm telling you, that's how the casting call sheet looked. Creepy old lady number one, creepy old lady number two. Oh, I don't know what their names are. We'll have to figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> like i don't know i it's a great episode to juxtapose the gang because we see throughout the entire series their their transition their their cathartic moments their realizations throughout the entire series we see that with literally our core gang and then here you know we get an episode where it shows that it, this is back to the why the series is so great. Even the greatest villains have some form of something that you may think your greatest enemy is truly just pure evil, but they're human too. It's like humanizing them. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that's one of the greatest things in this episode is, yeah, these guys are just kids. Like Mm -hmm. we have to remember that. And it's just, it's re It's repositioning the audience to remember these guys are kids. Mm hmm. And it I don't know it's, it's pretty amazing because it really sets you up for when at the end Tylee joins the, the Kyoshi Warriors <laughs> um, and, and Mai becomes you know basically queen you know it, it's like okay you can accept that and yeah. you can accept why Zuko can't kill his sister like why he mm. feels the need to take care of his sister after everything that happens yeah because you know he still loves her and sees her as his sister, and that she's just broken,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and he's been broken, so he gets it.
0: Well, and you know, when you talk about this idea of no one, you know, it, who we see is not necessarily like totally evil, and I think the only the only person who is just like unequivocally evil that we see in this show from everything that we do see is Ozai, but. I think because we see what Azula is, and we've been talking about this whole episode of how much he echoes Ozai in such a you know, profound way. Uh, basically, Ozai is an example of what Azula would become. Is that any shred of humanity that is left in Azula right now at age 14? Maybe Ozai had that, but clearly it's gone.
1: We know Sozin did at one point. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what it sets you up for. It sets you up for the next episode when they talk about the Fire Lord and the Avatar and how they were friends.
3: Mm.
1: They were great friends, and they they were literally each other's grip on humanity. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
1: And then the two being torn away and literally being set upon their programming and their tasks and being so molded is what changed them. Mm. And I think it's a reminder not to grow up too fast too soon. Mm. Like, you don't have to decide who you are at 14. You don't have to decide who you are at 18. And it's a great lesson for kids that are getting ready to go to college soon is that, like, you guys are never going to know what you want to do and be, you're going to think you know what you want to do when you walk into the first day of college. But I can tell you now from being there, you probably won't (laughs) stick with that major all the way through college. Mm -hmm. And even when you do, you won't
2: end up sticking with it afterwards. Yeah.
1: I mean, you might not even with the same group of people you met mm. the first year of college i mean granted i did but that's because <laughs> i was a giant nerd and all my friends were giant nerds and being <laughs> a nerd in college was actually kind of cool then so i was like yay <laughs> um but it's a reminder to all is that you don't have to grow up like that's what these kids are trying to do in this episode too is seem like they're growing up and the other kids are too but it's like don't just enjoy what is here in the moment
0: mm-hmm. absolutely And don't get bottled in, or, you know, don't get distracted too much by your your expectations or let them kind of let you down. And don't let your
1: crazy father turn you into a military programming (laughs) tool or weapon of destruction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the the last thing uh, before we go here, I I just wanted to kind of say, because I mentioned this in the beginning, and I think so much of this episode, too, the more... I reflected on it afterwards, and throughout this whole discussion, is this idea of uh, judgment towards people and how we perceive, uh, you know, people, especially whether it's like you know we're kind of touching base after not you know you know seeing each other for years or in a space that is more comfortable and opening uh, to yield those kinds of deeper conversations, um, and how important it is to look past those because uh, you know just like with Zuko you know saying what he does about Ty lee and just like oh I can walk in my hands all the time I'm happy blah 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 and saying to me it's just like you're just a blah and it, it this idea of you know we are looking at these characters in such a way or we're looking at the people around us and the in our lives a certain way there's more to it and I think that's the the greatest lesson for this episode is that there's always more to someone besides like, you know, that kind of initial perception. And mm-hmm. it's always going to be different. Even if we see some, I mean, cause we feel like we know Azula and Tylee and May, like who they are as people because of everything we've seen them do. But just as much as Zuko was surprised, we're surprised watching it mm-hmm. and just, just, Great writing, great character yeah. development. I love this show. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I think we're gonna we're gonna call it for there. And uh, um, Daniel, Susan, guys, thank you so much for uh, joining me tonight. This has been this has been really like you were saying earlier. It's been super cathartic and deep. <laughs> this has been really great. Um, it was. And uh, yeah, so again, remember, uh, you can get in touch with us a variety of different ways. Uh, You can email us at legendofportalcast at uh, gmail.com. You can find us uh, on Facebook or Instagram at legendofportalcast or on Twitter at portalcastpod. Um, And uh, our next episode will be coming out in the next two weeks. And uh, excited to kick off this summer and continue discussion. But for now. Hey, Colin. Yeah.
1: Can I request that we have a special someone say your famous line for us to end the podcast today?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay, hold on one sec.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so excited for this.
1: <laughs> All right, what do you want to say? Well,
0: <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> well done. Oh, bravo, bravo.